Well, I saw that funny meme or something today with two characters from some movie. R.C. Rendon? Yeah. Yeah, she's shared that. R.C. Rendon. Yeah, describe it. So one character is like, come on now, how bad can this virus really be? And the other character is like, even Native Americans are urging people to listen to the government. (laughs) And the face of the other character is like, (gasps) It's looking all shocked. (laughs) It's pretty serious, yeah. Welcome to Native Lights Midapi. I'm your host, Cole Primo. And I'm your other host, Leah Lem. This is the podcast where we check in with the Native community here in Minnesota during the COVID-19 pandemic, providing connection in these social distancing times. This episode, we're going to be checking in with Bettina Park. Basically, she's like a liaison between the tribes and the governor's office, which you can believe is a big role for the times we are in. Oh, yeah. So here she is. Uh, my name is Patina Park. I'm in Kaju Lakota. My family comes from both Cheyenne River and Standing Rock. And then my adopted family are Osage from Oklahoma. And I'm the director of tribal state relations systems implementation um, for the governor of Minnesota. How's that? That's a heck of a title. <laughs> so before we get into the specifics of your job and how that's dealing with the pandemic and stuff, how are you doing right now with the uh, you know, whole thing? Well, um, you know, I'm actually, I'm doing okay. I'm feeling uh, at times a little overwhelmed, obviously, because it's a huge um, response and so much need and, and, you know, both tribal and um, urban and all this stuff. But I think being involved at this level with such a, a pointed specific target of where I'm supposed to be like intersecting with the work helps prevent me from sitting and thinking about it in a much broader kind of theme. Sure. So uh, the job actually kind of helps me not sit around and worry and stress and be fearful um, of what's going on. Are you uh, doing any of the distance learning things with Gerald? (laughs) You know, um, the kids both are in school um, and bless their little hearts. uh, They get up, they do their work, they have their breaks, they do their work again, and both of them are staying right on top of things. Um, I think it helps to have me here working yeah. because they see me working. So they know they need to do their work too. Definitely. Um, and I think it's both of them are on the autism spectrum. And so uh, there's not a lot of socialization that they were doing anyway. You, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting that the something that used to cause me worry and some pain that, you know, no one called to ask my kids to hang out with them or to come over. Um, now, because of that, they don't know the difference. Whereas other kids who were highly social and out with their friends all the time would be intensely feeling being locked inside the house. Sure. For practical purposes, things haven't changed much for my kids, except they don't go to school. And how old are your kids? I'm 17. And then um, Gabe will be um, 14 at the end of June. Okay. So they're pretty good at self-directing then? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. And has anything else changed? Have you like noticed any adjustments that you've made? Like, for example, for some reason, I'm cooking way more. (laughs) I don't know if it's like panic cooking or what, but I'm like, ooh, potatoes, you know, ooh, like a pie. I don't know. (laughs) Stuff that I would never do before this. Um, Have you found yourself doing anything like that? I have. I I am cooking more. Um, What's interesting is because I'm working from home now, I'm actually working more hours. 
uh, because I live in Wisconsin. So I was commuting in. So that was 45 minutes each way of like away from work time. I used to call it my decompression time in the car. And so I am kind of noticing the absence of that essentially hour and a half of time that was just me and my book on tape or me listening to my own music, having my own thoughts. Um, I don't have that time. Now I'm working. Like I get up and I'm usually working around 7, 730. Um, oh. My last call of the day is um, at 7 o'clock at night. Today I had 10 conference calls. Mm-hmm. I have another one coming up at 430 and then a couple more later. So on, on Monday, I started like, okay, for every 30-minute meeting, I have to do 10 squats. And for every hour meeting, I have to do 20 squats. So at least I'm doing some physical activity mm-hmm. throughout the whole day. I thought I would do burpees, but then I got too out of breath. And I thought, no, if I have to talk in this meeting, I don't want people to think or wonder what I'm doing that's making me out of breath. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I got to go do my burpees. Just a second. <laughs> A great exercise, but maybe not during a conference call. But yeah, keeping up the circulation is pretty key, you know, even for brain function. Absolutely. And all of these teleconferencing, I mean, it's great that technology allows us to meet like this during a pandemic. But I think everyone is spending a lot more time sitting Mm -hmm. than when we were just meeting. Because before, you know, even in the week before this hit at work, right, I'm on the East Wing. A lot of my meetings and contacts are on the West Wing, so I would have to jump up and, and run down the hall and get to the West Wing and talk and then go down the stairs and down another level of stairs. Right? There's just kind of constant movement, mm-hmm. whereas now I will, it's horrible to admit, but like bring the phone to the bathroom because I literally don't even have a moment from one conference to the next yeah. to, to step away. Um, and so I'm just grateful they're not video um, and that I can mute the phone, right? <laughs> Where are you right now? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I'm in the office. That's, that's my story and I'm sticking with it. Awesome. So yeah, you're relatively new to this uh, role at the governor's office. Could you just tell us about the role and how it's you know, changed once the pandemic hit? Yeah, it was the first week. Um, the role really is created because of executive order 1924, which is the government to government relationship with the tribes and each agency having their own tribal liaison. Mm -hmm. And so the role, um, I was reminded several times when I started myself and Maddie, who's the assistant director, you know, we don't do policy. We're not doing issues. We're really around creating best practices and protocols and trainings and improving communication between everyone, but don't get involved in policy or issues. Because the worry was then we would get pulled away from the main work and it would never get done. And then fast forward a week and get a, a text asking if I could meet with the lieutenant governor right that moment. And, um, and that's when she asked if I would take a lead role in kind of the COVID response between the governor's office and the 11 nations. So myself and Maddie, our roles shifted from not being issue and policy to everything about issues and policies in regards to the COVID response. Did you say uh, Maddie's full name and what she does, her role? Oh yeah, Maddie DiCarlo. She came from the Historical Society um, before her position with the state, and she's the assistant director of tribal state relations systems implementation. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So you were saying right after this chat at four thirty, you're gonna have like a daily call with tribal leaders and the lieutenant governor. What happens during these calls? A variety of things: checking in, issue spotting, um, information sharing, 
It's like, for instance, when the governor closed businesses, the tribes, you know, asked right away, are you telling us we need to close our businesses? And so, you know, having those conversations of no, um, you're not named in the order because it doesn't apply to you because you're a sovereign nation. You will make those decisions yourself. But here's information the governor used to make these decisions. Here's, you know, information from Indian Health. I mean, information really right now um, is worth so much because things are changing so quickly. Gotcha. So like they get to make their own decisions, right? Yes. Can you talk a bit about how the tribes made those decisions? Yeah, you know, um, I'm not uh, working with them, so I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. I know that there's several opportunities. They come together as a collective. There's MIAC, you know, the Minnesota Indian Affairs Council. You know, there's even the Minnesota Indian Gaming Association, right? They all have gaming, so they all come together under that context too. And of course, the issues around gaming and COVID intensified very quickly. Uh, and they had to make some really hard decisions about whether they would close their casino or not. Mm. Ultimately, they know their community best. And so they're going to come up with a response that um, is directed by that community. And I know for many of them, intense concern of, of elders and, right. you know, our more um, vulnerable people, I think, is, has led them to have to make these decisions like the state did. And then how about the urban area, too? You were the CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. Yes. Can you say anything what's going on there, like what their special needs might be during a time like this? I think just like any business or organization to be closed, which many of them are, um, creates a dynamic that they don't have um, work that's billable necessarily. And also, you know, like for MIWRC, the idea of, you know, how do you provide services that are so needed while still honoring the um, social distancing? You know, how do you do outreach when you're not supposed to be out? Mm -hmm. Yes, you're essential, but are they being provided the personal you know, emergency equipment people need in order to interact with potentially um, positive COVID populations. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, it's a struggle. And um, at the end of the day, you know, for an organization, you know, I think a center school and Dakota Prep, who they receive funding based on the number of students they have. And yes, I think in suburban populations, staying at home and having, you know, internet school for your kids is highly likely and not so hard to manage. But when I think of some of the kids that those schools are working with, they're not necessarily housed. Um, some of them are homeless and bouncing from relative to relative. They may or may not have access to the internet. So the service provision is so much more difficult in these kind of conditions. It's true for all the uh, nonprofits that are doing this work, whether they're Somali or Latinx or Native or just general Northern Minneapolis organizations. Mm -hmm. We're all trying to figure out how to create a response to this virus. And more broadly, uh, I was curious, uh, what are some of like, the biggest issues tribes are dealing with, you know, with this pandemic from your point of view? I think... Um, the resources are really the biggest struggle, unlike a state, city, county government who can use taxes and other um, forms of income to maintain their government and have a um, savings account, essentially, of those taxes. Tribes don't have a tax base. 
um, gaming revenue produces and provides that essential base of funding for their government functions to continue. So to be forced to close their casino because the the difficulty of being able to maintain an environment where the virus can't um, spread is almost impossible in a casino. And so they all made that difficult decision to shut down, but it also means their government and, and essential government functions do not have any funding source coming in. And that's national, right? That's, that's not just in Minnesota. That's going to be a national phenomenon across the country. See. Tough times. Um, uh, lastly, I was just curious if you had any, you know, final thoughts, what you've learned so far in your role, uh, any big insights, experiences? You know, um, a couple of things. And every day I am amazed at the level of focus and intense desire to get things done at all levels, in all agencies, not just to deal with the crisis now, but to project out what could potentially happen and and plan in advance and keeping a really positive and hopeful attitude. You know, my dad used to say this, you know, you gotta be the buffalo, right? Buffalo run through a storm. They don't sit there like cows and wait for it to pass over them, but it's really bad in that intense moment running through it. Um, but they get to the other side faster. And I kind of keep reminding myself that this is what this feels like. Like we're, we are literally running into the storm right now, but there will be an end to it. And hopefully we're, we're a, a better unit, a more collective collaborative unit um, because of this experience. That's great. Thank you very much. Very much appreciate your perspective being on the show. You're very welcome. I was honored to uh, be on. Thank you, Patina. Hey, you're welcome. Take care. Stay safe there. Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. (laughs) Native Lights is produced by Ampers and is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Giga Wabaman. Giga Wabaman.